This is St Giles House in Dorset and it was the home of probably the most important English philosopher you may never have heard of, the third Earl of Shaftesbury, also known as Anthony Ashley Cooper. He was one of the best known philosophers in the 18th century, along with his tutor, the British empiricist John Locke, and their discussions here about the nature of philosophy and life in the Enlightenment period set an agenda of which empiricism stayed in the UK and Anthony Ashley Cooper's ideas seeded the birth of Romanticism and can be found in the thoughts of Samuel Taylor Coleridge, William Blake, Adam Smith and also in continental Europe in the ideas of Goethe and the influence that the expansive educational concept of Bildung had in Europe. If there were one idea that's central to his thought and that runs like a thread through it, it would be the idea of beauty. Focus on what beautifies life and life will become beautiful to you, he said. He was very clear, unlike Locke's empiricism, that it's not just a head that counts when you're a philosopher, but what he called a heart and resolution too, your desire for life. And here outside the front of the house is a replica of the statue of, well, it's actually Ant Eros that is in Piccadilly Circus. It's often thought to be the god Eros, but in fact, the sculptor Alfred Gilbert put in the figure of Ant Eros as a kind of more steady, mature, compassionate love that can draw us towards what's good, beautiful and true, as opposed to the more capricious, whimsical, stunning, often misleading love of Eros. He thought that beauty wasn't just an add-on to reality, a secondary quality as it came to be known, but actually speaks of a true thread that runs throughout things and that we human beings have the capacity to tune into that beauty, feel how it expands our souls and provides a moral compass that can guide us through life. That idea of the moral compass being one of the things that Adam Smith took up in his work on moral theory and also the idea of an impartial spectator as if there's a part of us that can stand outside of life and make assessments of life and how it's going because it's in touch with the divine part of ourselves that draws us towards it through the perception of beauty, what's good and what's true. He realised that beauty was a key concept in the sciences. Mathematicians seek beauty. Physicists seek symmetries as they draw nature together and discern the laws that may be embedded within the soul of nature. And so reckon that that must mean reality itself runs with a thread of beauty which is why it needs to be treated not just as an optional extra, but something that is perhaps the truest guide to life when we know how to tune into it aright 
which of course means discerning it as well as detecting it. We're called, he thought, to be co-creators with nature in order to bring its beauty to the surface, amplify it, and then make it all the more as it leads us through life. Here's a portrait of the man himself, and it's very fascinating because it's this rare depiction of him as a double. There's the figure outside, his public persona with his lord's garb there over his arm, not quite on, as if he's not quite comfortable with that. And then the more reflective man with the book under his sleeve in the interior of his house and in his own interior. And I like to think that this portrait reflects one of his suggestions to us if we want to author our life, if we want to follow these lines of beauty and not just be led by the crowd or by mere logic. He suggested that we consider ourselves doubles, drawing on the ancient tradition of divine doubles, like Socrates and his demon that led him through the guidance of Apollo. Don't worry too much, he thought about whether you actually believe in the metaphysics of divine doubles. Use it almost as a spiritual exercise to ask yourself from the outside in, who are you? Where are you being led? What's going on in your life? How are you behaving? Because he knew that, like Socrates' great motto to know yourself, that it is very hard to understand who you are and that it's easy to make assumptions that might actually lead you in very different and possibly erroneous directions. Here's part of his library, including works by himself and also John Locke, with whom he had this exchange of consideration and disputation. He wrote very widely, not just about beauty, but also about things like humour. He was actually the first philosopher to use the word in the modern sense of wit, rather than the older sense of medical humours. And he thought that the great thing about wit is that it penetrates our barriers and so draws out the wit as in the sense within us, it enables our soul to flourish. He also thought that it was a good way of challenging those that we disagree with because it keeps the possibility of friendship open as well as being quite fierce at times in witty criticism. He had to practice what he preached as well because he actually suffered from quite bad ill health during his life and died young at the age of 42 in 1713. And he wrote about wanting to befriend that which is difficult in life, that which causes him pain and distress, because he wanted to love the whole of life. He didn't want to have his life split, hoping that that which was beautiful on the surface, lovely as it is, would remain and last, but rather that he'd be able to penetrate transience and be in touch with that which is always pulsing and vital, even when it has sadness and tragedy. But in spite of his fame in the 18th century, his ideas left these islands for the most part and went to Europe, informing people like Goethe and his ideas that science works best when it's a kind of participation with nature, where our souls resonate with the soul of all things and 
thereby elicit the intuitions and truths that can then be put to the empirical test. But there is this thread in English Romanticism that kept his ideas. William Blake, for example, echoes some of Anthony Ashley Cooper's themes in poems like The Schoolboy, where he talks about how lucky the schoolboy is who has his learning's bower under the trees outside, connecting directly with that which we are learning about in the sky and in the birds, not just studying it abstractly in the schoolroom. And for myself, I think that his ideas are coming around again. We're realising that the 300 years or so of British empiricism, for all they have brought in terms of the development of science, and the rationalisation of society. They're not enough. We don't live just by our heads. We need to live by our hearts and our will, our passion too. And so it's very lovely to be here at St Giles House in Dorset, the home of Anthony Ashley Cooper, and to think about what he might bring to our times in the 21st century and how trusting that which beautifies beautifies life for us too.